Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. Welcome to Pop to the Lou, where we share hilarious, embarrassing, heartbreaking, and inspiring stories of life with IBD. We will hopefully make you laugh, cry, and probably speechless, like Sarah is most of the time when I'm telling my stories. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of Pop to the Loo. In this episode, we interview the amazing Katie, aka Badass with a Badass. If you're on Instagram, please check out her profile. She's absolutely amazing, so positive, so inspirational. And we sat down and had an awesome chat with her. Before we get into that, should we do our weekly gratitude? Why not, sir? In this moment, of all things I'm grateful for, it is ice. <laughs> We'd like to confirm actual ice and not the drug ice. <laughs> ice cube that I am holding on my hand because I got bit by an ant. And if you are in, in any country other than Australia, you'd be like, Sarah, what the hell is wrong with you? It's an ant bite. But no, no, no. The ants in Australia... <laughs> are vicious. And I got bit yesterday. This morning, I couldn't bend my finger. It's like on my middle finger. If I take ice off of it for more than about 10 minutes, it swells so bad. It is honestly, it's kind of like I would compare it to a bee sting or wasp sting or something that fucking hurts. (laughs) Because any English people listening to this will be like, what are you going on about? Like, Honestly, the ants Ants. here are crazy. (laughs) Uh, They have different kinds. They have different kinds. I don't even know what kind it was. Green. I have no idea. But maybe I'll I'll post a photo. Nobody needs to see this. It's really swollen. And then it's like a bump and it's all white. And oh my God. I think you should leave Australia, mate. (laughs) The ants in England are friendly. (laughs) Any excuse to get you back. Anyways, that's my moan. However, I am very grateful for ice because and pain pills because it hurts that much. It'll be gone probably like last time I took about three days. Again, Sarah's grateful for ice cubes. (laughs) It sounded even worse when you said ice and (laughs) painkillers. So I'm grateful for my gluten-free pancakes I made this morning with loads of banana, blueberries, raspberries, creme fraiche and honey on top I did a massive stack to soak up my Negronis from last night um that all sounds amazing except for honey instead of maple syrup I do take that personally as a Canadian Canadian versus English beef (laughs) (laughs) so yeah they're soaking soaking up my Negronis actually it wasn't just Negroni it was Prosecco Negroni and red wine so I know everyone can feel my pain right now (laughs) At least no tequila. I'm really impressed with you, babe. Please don't mention tequila ever again. (laughs) Should we get into the interview? Perfect. Let's go. So how are you, babe? Anyway, how's your day been? been? Good. It's been good, actually. I was just finishing up work, corporate life. I was going to ask where where you were based. Yeah. So I am currently in New Hampshire now. So I moved up here with my boyfriend in the fall because he is going to Dartmouth for residency. So yeah, so we are up here now, but I actually both lived in the Boston area before, but I'm originally from Connecticut. 
So okay. yeah, oh, wow. I've kind of, I've lived oh, all over wow. the New England area. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I did a little bit of Instagram stalking on you. Obviously, some of the stuff I saw was related to your IBD, but obviously other stuff wasn't as well. So Mm -hmm. I guess like what I was fascinated with was that you've had your IBD for so long. Yeah, I've had it for 17 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. You were homeschooled, weren't you? I was homeschooled from... So I was kind of homeschooled a little sporadically throughout elementary school on and off. I just had like a bad time in public school. Like I kept getting really sick in each school. Like I would have like really bad, like asthma attacks and a lot of the schools, like public schools just have like bad air quality in general. So my parents kind of just hopped around to figure out what was working with me, but it just seemed like I was always kind of sick in that sense. Like something was definitely like off autoimmune wise with me, but I was really not I didn't really start homeschooling seriously until when I was in the fifth grade, because that was when I really, I got first diagnosed with the, with Crohn's. And that was when I kind of just like, couldn't balance elementary school and the diagnosis at the same time. It just like, wasn't an option. Do you think it was stress or? Yes. I was very type A, still am very type A. I like, you can see me when I was like five in like a Halloween parade, like worriedly looking around for my mom, like biting my little nails, like oh. always the little worry wart, like my whole life. So I definitely think it could have been stress induced. And I, I definitely think that going to school added that aspect of like, okay, how am I going to handle this? If I'm, I was more on the constipated side, which was like lucky for me, but it still was just the general fatigue. Like I couldn't make it through a full day of school. So I started homeschooling then. And then my younger brother at the time joined and I'm with me through the homeschooling. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting you touch on that because someone said to me today, actually, they were talking about being constipated as opposed to having kind of loose bowels. And it's yeah. really, my actual, I mean, you know, I don't mince my words, Katie, followed us for, <laughs> for a while now, but I actually text him back. It was one of my friends talking about someone else he knew. And I said, God, I'd rather ship my load than be constipated. And he was like, I know. I just, I've been constipated before and I have, yep. I categorically have felt more ill than having loose stools, if that makes sense. I agree. I agree because it feels like it sits inside of you and it just feels like it's heavy. And I'm more on the constipated side now as well. Like even like when we we're in New York, I was so bloated and I came back for an MRI and they were like, you're really constipated. I'm like, oh, okay, like what is going on here? That's causing the constipation. Um, when I was younger, it was from um, a small bowel stricture. So my actual like ileocecal area, which is where the small bowel connects to a large bowel, it was actually really small. It was such a narrow opening that that's what was causing the backup. So I was always just more on like the acid reflux, the nausea side of things than and, and it getting can really- my brains out. It can really yeah. impact your mental health, can't it? Isn't it? Because you worry about it and yep. then it and makes then you it worse. tighten up. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What do you um, usually do for it? Is there like a natural remedy or do I you haven't, get medication? So before with the stricture, nothing worked, obviously. It just I couldn't get rid of the constipation, no matter really what I would do. Um, yeah. even like before like a colonoscopy prep, I would end up throwing up because I wouldn't be able to have it oh, go wow. through. Like they would have to do it for two days because I couldn't do it all in one day. My elimination process was always like overextended because of that. Now I take like Miralax to try to soften the stool. It still seems like there's something else going on that I'm trying to figure out what it is, whether it's an anxiety thing or something else that's going on, more of like an IBS constipation, or if it's actually still like my IBD acting up. 
um, so hard, isn't it? When I remember you uh, pacing, Katie, when you were in New York. Was oh, it really bad? I remember <laughs> messaging was... you and I said, babe, is it this, this, and this? And you said, Cass, I've done all of that. <laughs> I know. I like, I literally was like, this is the most, I, we didn't even take a plane. Like I will get that bloated after like flying. And that makes sense to me. But I was like, we took a train. I was like, why do I look pregnant right now? And my boyfriend, he was like, he was like, stop pushing it out. I'm like, it's that big. It's that big. <laughs> like oh my god I'm like I don't know where to put it <laughs> and we were walking a lot so I was like where is this coming from like go through me yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. drinking like espresso martinis too just to like come on this has got to be the trick here nothing Nope. And they usually help. <laughs> they should be like the lubrication that slides it right on through, and I'm sitting there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, with your original diagnosis, how did that come about? Because we know they're not usually easy. Mine easy. was, mine was miraculously easy. I think like I got really lucky with mine because I. It's super weird. I had a retainer, and for my teeth because my jaw is super crooked. And I remember I was eating an organic cereal in the morning and I bit down on something extra hard, but I just swallowed it anyway. So I took my retainer out. It was a piece of my retainer. So I had to go to the orthodontist to get it like a new one. And he was looking at it and he was like, I can't believe you ate a piece. I was like, whatever. So but my whole, <laughs> the whole right side of my gums on like my teeth are swollen and hard. And like, they had always been like that my whole life. And like, none of the dentists had ever asked about it, pointed it out. And he like looked at my mom and he goes, um, does she have any like upper GI symptoms? And she was like, well, she's been complaining about a stomach ache, but they haven't been able to figure out what's up. And he was like, I think she has an autoimmune disease. Like, I think you should take her to a GI doctor. And so my mom took me and they did a colonoscopy and that was it. They said, I will never forget the doctors just like, you have Grumps. And I was like, okay. And I was like, what do I do? And he was like, medication. I was like, okay. It's like, they just kind of hand you this beautiful package diagnosis. They're like, here, congrats. And then I'm like, what do I do with it? And they're like, nothing. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I feel like shit. (laughs) So, and that started my journey of trying to figure out what would work for me. So it wasn't the diagnosis. That was the hard part. I guess on my end, it was more so of like, I couldn't find anything that would work. So it was many, many years for me of just trying everything and just kind of getting progressively worse. Did he explain what the connection was between your gums and the autoimmune disease? I've honestly never heard, like no one's ever been able to give me like a scientific explanation between the two, besides that the mouth is a really good indicator of what's going on in the rest of the body. So even like my teeth have always been messed up ever since I started like certain medications. So I get a lot of cavities and like for a couple of years, I actually thought it was like, I was like, do I not brush my teeth well enough? Like I got like fancy toothbrushes, toothpaste, the whole nine yards. And then one of my doctors was like, no, it's your medication. Actually, like you're getting cavities from the meds. Yeah. Interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. It's just a fun little extra. We love those side effects that we (laughs) said. My favorite side effect is death when they're like, it may cause death and please call. They're like, these are the side effects that you should call your doctor if you experience them. And the first one's death. And I'm like, I'm not (laughs) calling my doctor if I die. Like, how am I calling my doctor? That's so true, isn't it? So you've obviously tried a variety of medication. Are you on any meds now? Yes. 
I, so I've been on pretty much every single medication that there is for Crohn's. Um, I think I've reached the limit of them. Not sure. I think they're coming out with new ones, but I am currently on Stellara, which is one of the biologics, but it's just the shot. And I'm also on methotrexate, which is a form of chemotherapy, but I've been on it on and off since I was 15. It usually has helped a lot, but recently my doctor thinks it might just be doing more harm. The Stellara might just be enough. We don't know. The side effects versus the effectiveness of the meds, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When the side effects overtake kind of you negatively, whether it's your physical or psychological health, the kind of whatever that, however effective they they are with your Crohn's kind of defeats the object, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think it's a really fine line sometimes. And I think it's, I think it's a really huge investigation into it, whether it can be side effects or the actual IBD. Is it the IBD acting up or is it the medication creating that? Is it the anxiety from taking the medication or anything that could come from it? I think a lot of times doctors don't see the full picture. They won't look at the full picture. And I like my current GI doctor. It's taken me years to find one that looks at the full picture of like, what's going on with your life? What's going on emotionally, mentally, spiritually, like everything. And then we'll be like, oh, like maybe you're not accepting this medication anymore. Cause she'll be like, do you want to take it? And I'm like, I don't really like double injecting myself every week. And she's like, okay, take a break. See what happens. She's like, I, I give you full full disclosure, like if something happens, call me, but she was like, you can do it. So I've been off of it for a month to see if I would feel better or worse or anything else in between. And we'll go from there. Yeah. I've never heard of a doctor being that flexible. Usually it's like, take this medication. Well, I, (laughs) I have had a hard time with doctors in the past. I went through a lot when I was on the younger side and I decided that I just, I wasn't going to be afraid of them anymore, I guess. And I've allowed a lot of them to kind of make their own mistakes and we're all humans, but a lot of them have made their own mistakes with me or like you get shuffled down to the bottom of the patient pile or like someone misses something or anything. And I just get tired of that. So I just was like, you know what, I'm going to find a doctor that I'm going to actually like and be in a relationship with, because that's what this is. (laughs) Because if you're going to take care of me this closely, like I'm going to want to actually be able to trust you. So this was the first time that I was like, yep, like I need a female doctor. Like I need a female doctor. And I like looked up all her credentials online. I was like, I choose her. Like I want her. I will wait for her. Like I will do anything possible. I like walked in that day and I was like, I'm so sorry for what's about to happen here. And she goes, why? I go, so I don't really care about your education or where you came from, what you learned. I know my body better than you. So I need you to listen to me. And she was like, okay. Uh, Yeah, I'm down for that. Okay, deal deal. And I was like, one day you're going to learn that I am usually right. I was like, no matter if science makes sense, my body's not going to agree with it. And she was like, okay. And there's one instance where she learned that very readily. And she was like, I'm so sorry. You were right. Never again. We'll always listen to you. (laughs) That's incredible. And I was was like, okay. Yeah. I like that you went in though and kind of laid down your boundaries and what you're expecting from her, because you're right. Usually when you go into a doctor's appointment, especially when you're feeling really unwell, you're already so weak and vulnerable. And then they're just like very like in and out. Here's what we're going to tell you to do. It's going to work. This is what science says. And you're like, no, it's not working for me. And they're like, well, it should. So right. Um, And I think I I like that approach. I think that people are scared to do are scared to do that sometimes. Like they're an authoritative figure. And I think that we take it with too much 
of just like, yes, they are always going to be right. Or yes, they always know the right answer. And I'm not saying to like always second guess your doctor, but I'm also saying that they, you do have a right to say, Hey, I don't like that. I don't want to do my colonoscopy prep like this. I don't want to have to take this medication again because it's my body at the end of the day. Do you think you've become more confident as well, Katie, because you have had Crohn's and so you've been around so many clinicians now. And I think a lot of people probably when they're newly diagnosed are not very confident, they do either, and again, we're not saying not listen to your clinicians by any means, but if they want to try something else, they probably be really reluctant to say it. You know, it's really important to to kind of stand your ground sometimes, you know, when you know what's right for you and what's not right for you, what's worked before, what's not worked for you before. And especially if you want to take someone when you're not feeling very well, because we know what it's like as well. You, you, right. you might know exactly what you want to do, but if you're feeling like absolute shit, it's really difficult to sit there and explain yourself, isn't it? I definitely think when you are at your sickest or when you are in that doctor's office, like sometimes it is okay to show that that side of being frustrated that you can't explain it. And I've shown my doctors before. I'm like, I don't think you're listening to my symptoms or like, I, I think you're, you're kind of just looking at it very, you know, point blank or very scientifically. Like, I want you to be able to understand that this is, this is my life and this is depressing me and this is making me anxious. So I think it's also the nice balancing act of also admitting that you're defeated and admitting that it's really impacting you in that way as well like you've just said then saying it, the the illness has made you really kind of stressed and anxious etc do you think that you've kind of been supported with your mental health that kind of we know is really interlinked with our gut health I think at times there have been some doctors that haven't taken it into account and I think those were the times when I was my sickest and it was the least helpful for me I think like if you don't take into account the mental health part of it as well I don't think the IBD will back down or go into as great of as remission as you want it to, if you don't take that piece into account. Like one thing that I really like about my current doctor was that first appointment. I was like, I have PTSD. And she was like, okay, were you formally diagnosed? And I go, no, I go, but I have all of the symptoms. And I was like, it's from my Crohn's. And I was like, it's from something else that happened in my life. And I was like, I was like, my butt problems are not going to go away until my head problems go away. So I was like, you need to help me here. And she was like, okay, I will. Okay. Thank you for saying it. She was like, you're hundred percent correct. And she was like, I think that there should be more out there. So she hooked me up with a great PTSD therapist. And I went through like all of this during COVID, which was of course the greatest time to start your like PTSD journey. But, um, really My therapist on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but once she hooked me up with therapists and everything else, like that's when I was like, okay, there really is something. The mind gut connection is really large and very pivotal here. I just still think there's such a stigma talking about mental health there and is. I just find it I find it fascinating that people people are still reluctant to talk about it and how and people's reactions to it if, if I'm honest yeah I I always find it really really sad because mental health has always been really close to my to my heart it's always been a big part of my family's lives like it I have always been <laughs> since I was younger, I was always the big cheerleader for therapy. Like, I don't know why, like, I was just like this young person, like, I need to go to therapy. I was like, (laughs) I need to talk to someone. And once I was old enough, and I was in college, I was like, I am crying too much. And I treated my, my high school guidance counselor, I treated her like a therapist. I'm so sorry. Like, you were not paid enough to deal with me. (laughs) And then I went to counseling in college. And it was, 
I was like, you need to get paid more than this as well. (laughs) But it was so helpful just to have someone listen to me every week, just kind of share what I was going through or have me work through things. But it's sad that when I was on campus, I like felt bad, like talking about how I was going to counseling or like people would like look down at like their phones in the waiting room or like wear really low hats because they wouldn't want anyone else to know that they were going counseling. I was like, what is wrong with this? I was like, we all have problems. So it was like a lot of you are just as messed up as me. I was like, we should probably all be getting in line and going. And I don't think it was until COVID really hit that people started taking mental health even more seriously and really started to see that it isn't just, you know, some people that like everyone could benefit from a therapist or you don't have to just go to therapy because something big happened. Like you could go because you want to explore something else or you want to work through your feelings. Like, I just feel like more people should be open to talking about it. Absolutely. And you don't have to be chronically mentally unwell to experience mental health problems. That's the other thing as well. I think some people, I don't mean to say that they're ignorant, but I think some people don't think of mental health problems um, apart from in a really significant way where, you know, you might be in hospital or you might be in a more specialist unit. They don't think of all of us every single day actually experiencing mental health problems because it can, I'm a big believer, it can happen to you overnight. And yeah. I obviously see it every single day, but I'm the same as you. I mean, like I love therapy personally. Haven't had it for a few years now. But when I did, I I thought it was brilliant. And I never, yeah. and the, the thing I love most about it is I got to know myself so well in a way that I'd never got to know myself before. You know, talking to your friends and family, we love them, but they're not necessarily going to give you the best advice because yeah. they love you and they probably don't want to upset you or... We know there's certain people in our lives, as soon as they open their mouth, they just get on our nerves. <laughs> Your Instagram name. I think I messaged you first, didn't I? I think so too, yeah. To say <laughs> yeah. your name is just wicked. So to everyone I... listening, Katie's name is just amazing. Her name is Badass with a Badass, <laughs> which is just the best thing I've ever seen. And your Instagram is wicked. So it's super positive. Yeah. You're really yeah. raw. I think it's important to show that you know, there's good days, there's bad days. There's also things that you can do and that you can't do. And I think that my whole life, I always thought it would kind of just be like one day I would be able to do it all. Or one day I wouldn't be able to do it all. I kind of thought it would be like a, an all or nothing way of life. And I've realized just on my journey that it's better to cave in and take those days off and admit defeat and raise the little white flag of surrender and be like, hi, hello, I can't cannot do this today I cannot handle this and just being as transparent as we can about it that's why I wanted to start my Instagram was I wanted to be able to kind of just show that you can get dark sometimes and you can have those you know down on yourself moments but you can also get up and you can go and do that and it's doing it despite that doing it even if your ass hurts like you just you're gonna have to do it (laughs) you just have to decide one day if you're gonna just let your ass hurt and lie on the couch or go out and do it and let your ass hurt like it's gonna hurt either way (laughs) don't you find I Sarah and I do this all the time you feel guilty for resting the art of rest is beautiful and graceful and I think it's really something that I think the IBD community needs more of because I think a lot of us are type A and do want to either prove something to ourselves or prove something to someone else when we really don't have to. You like to journal as well. I do. Yeah. I 
grew up writing a lot when I was younger. And it was something that I found a lot of quiet solitude in. Being homeschooled, I was pretty isolated. So books were like my best friend. And I, I read an insane amount of books and they were all like classic literature. And I loved just like Wuthering Heights and Gone with the Wind and just like real raw books. But the journaling was like the only thing that I felt like I didn't need to be perfect at or like it just, it's like this separate person that kind of just comes out. College, I kind of lost it for a long time. And I think I just kind of morphed into who I expected to me to be as an adult. And I just like hit a wall like a year after like post-grad and I just was like something's not working here and I went through like a lot of like coaching and like self-help and like a lot of like inward look and I started journaling again and it was like the only thing where I literally was like this this doesn't feel right like it's a blank page like nothing's gonna come out and I actually started journaling exactly a year ago um next month and it was actually the start of like this whole journey of just kind of like self-discovery and like re-realization of who I am and kind of just morphing into like a better version of myself but like it was the act of letting those words out and letting those feelings out like to myself that helped me actually figure that out and work through a lot of stuff do you find it kind of de-stresses you at night and any like in that regard as well yeah I it it definitely does it's something I do more in the morning I have something that I just suffer from is just really bad nightmares. I've had really bad nightmares on and off since my first surgery when I was 15. Um, they used to only come like right after um, like the anniversary of my surgery, but then the past probably like six months, they've been like every night and it's just kind of like, no one can figure out what it is and they change and I kind of like work through stuff and then they kind of morph into something else. But the journaling is kind of like the only place where it just kind of like I'll just kind of purge my thoughts in the morning. It just kind of like helps me set the tone for the day and just gets all the anxiety thoughts out. Yeah, we we both love journaling as well. So I do two different kind of journaling. I I it's not that I like track like my sleep and nutrition and hydration and activity or anything, but I find that I'm a little bit more accountable to myself when I do so, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I can kind of see if I've been unwell with my stomach or even my mental health I can kind of see where I've kind of gone wrong and then I just yeah do like an absolute mind dump of my day whether it's work projects at how I'm feeling like who's pissed me off because someone new to oh, yes. on the hour burn list <laughs> yeah. burn book Sarah and I always talk about the five minute journal as well I don't know if you've seen that Katie but we love I have it. I haven't gotten one yet I oh, need it's to really like I'm, yeah, yeah I need to do that they have an app as well if you don't want to get the book, but I like actually writing. I love writing. Um, yeah. yeah. And it helps so much, honestly, with your mindset because you're putting things that you're grateful for in the morning and then as well in the evening, like reflecting. And I find that really helps when I'm just kind of feeling a bit out of it. And then, yeah, yeah. I like to do a brain dump as well. Or I don't think it's poetry, but I have shared <laughs> some of my writing before and Michael calls it poetry. So I'm like, okay. But nice. yeah, just scribbling down my thoughts. It yeah, definitely I think, helps get things out. I, so one thing about me is like, I, I don't write in formal writing or, or like follow any of like the grammar rules. I just write. So I think if you feel it's poetry, it's poetry. I don't think there's any rules to poetry. I think Pretty good, writing Seth. can be poetry. Pretty much a poet. So now, Katie, <laughs> <laughs> you touched on your first operation Yep. when you were 15. 
So if you don't mm-hmm. mind talking about it. I've only had one major bowel resection. So that was when I was 15. I was literally the sickest anyone could ever be like right before that surgery. Like I avoided surgery for a long time. I didn't want it. I just felt like someone had told me once that Crohn's was just the cut and gut disease. And I wish that they had never said that to me as a child because I just was like, if they cut me once, they're always going to cut me. And I was like, I can't go through that. But I was experiencing really bad bladder fistula symptoms, but I wasn't, they couldn't find them in any of the exams I was having. So I was, I had every exam swallow, every MRI, CT scan, nothing showed that I had fistulas in my bladder. Um, but I had constant UTI symptoms. Like I couldn't drive in the car eventually because it like, I just like, it would hurt so bad. And I was like, TMI, but I started like passing actual stuff when I peed. And I was like, this can't be good. Like that is not normal. And the doctors weren't believing me. Um, until one day I like literally like picked up my pee and brought it to my pediatrician. And I was like, hi, like that's a small piece of broccoli. Like I have a fistula. Yeah. And I kept getting sicker and eventually my parents wanted to get like second opinions and stuff. So it took us a while, but eventually it just kind of time ran out for me. And when I had to go into the hospital for a whole week before I had my surgery, I was 88 pounds and I was five foot six. So I was a stick of a thing. Tiny. Um, it was wild. I just remember having like absolutely nothing left to me. Like I couldn't eat anything anymore. Like I didn't feel like a human, but I like still wasn't relinquishing like that real con- like control over my body still. So it took a lot of like Grey's Anatomy and like crying in the bed to like fully accept it. I was like, I'm a bird in a cage. I was like, I just feel like I'm in a cage with a gun to my head and I can't go anywhere. I was like, I don't want this, but I was like, I, I can't not have this. So I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do? And I just remember saying to my sur- my surgeon, like before I fell asleep, I like had to crack a joke to everyone in the OR. I was like, hello, everyone. Like you're going to open me today. Like, you know, have a great day. And like, just remember don't mess it up. And everyone laughed. I was like, that wasn't really funny as I meant it to be, but I'm glad everyone laughed at me before I fall <laughs> under. And I was like, I just didn't want a bag. Cause at that point I just really didn't want any colostomy or really ask me bag. And so I woke up and I couldn't open my eyes and it was the worst pain I've ever felt. And I like kept asking for pain meds and one nurse just held my hand in the post-op and she was like, I'm so sorry, but you're tapped. Like we can't give you any more. You're at the max right now. So we have to let you scream. And she was like, so don't apologize for swearing. Like you can let it all out. And she was like, you're in a lot of pain. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just was like, this is horrible. And I remember I was looking around and I could tell the light had changed more in the post-op area than like I thought it should have for the time that was supposed to elapse during the surgery. It was only supposed to be like two to four hours. Once I opened my eyes, I was like, why is this so dark? Like what, whatever. And they're like, it was an eight and a half hour surgery. And I was like, <gasps> oh, 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 okay. And basically they didn't know how sick I was. They, none of the exams I had showed how bad it was. My stricture was pretty much closed. My small bowel had grown into my bladder so it had rested in top of it, but then there were six fistulas that were all attached. So every time I moved a certain way, and that's how like the car was bothering me, and like even just like certain movements, I felt I could feel it like sticking to my bladder. And they said like whenever I moved a certain way, it was ripping like my bladder. So they had to like restructure wow. like half of my bladder, like with 
my own fat and they took out 13 inches in my small intestine, my appendix, just for the kicks and giggles, I guess. Um, yeah, it was a hot mess. They were shocked. I've never seen medical professionals more shocked than in that moment when I was talking to them about it after the surgery. It was wild. I remember my doctor apologized for never believing me. And I came out of there remembering I had flatlined. Like that was like the weirdest thing that happened to me. I knew I had flatlined in the surgery. And um, I asked my surgeon, I was like, why didn't you tell my parents I flatlined? And he started crying. And he was just like, you remembered that? And I was like, yeah. And he like, was like, I have to walk out. He was like, I'm sorry. And like the rest of the surgeons were there and they were like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I was like, yep, that happened. It was, I was like a little mutant after that. Like I had tubes coming out of me everywhere. I had drains everywhere. Like just like sucking out, like whatever was coming out of me. Like, I don't even know what was sticking out of me during that time. I was, I was in the hospital for a month. It was wow. awful. And that's yeah. what I was going to ask you. What was your kind of recovery like after that kind of? Took me six months operation. to sit up, sit up on my own. Yeah. My brother would come in and help me sit up. I like, I don't really remember a lot of the recovery. I just remember like I watched Friends on repeat. Like I owned all DVDs because Netflix was not a thing at that time. And I read so much, but like most part, I just slept. Like I really just slept and my body healed, but it really took me like a year and a half to feel healthy, to like really feel like a new person again. And that's, and that's a really difficult I, age as well to have an operation like that. It was awful. Like I stopped homeschooling at the time because obviously it just didn't matter. Like, and that, yeah. that's when my parents knew I was really sick was when I stopped caring about learning anything. But all I wanted was just to be normal. Like, that's all I remembered. Like, I just was like, I wish I could complain about boys or like something else or like not having the right outfit. I was like, God, just like something normal. It was really hard. I wish I had been in therapy at the time or something because I think that was really difficult to, for a child to go through just Absolutely. to experience that and then to recover from it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then have you had so, any operations since that, Kate, or have they been kind of smaller procedures? Senior year of college, I got into a car accident and I felt like I had a, like pulled my back out and it was like a knot in my butt and it kept getting progressively worse. Another thing where my doctors like kind of didn't believe me at the time, they didn't understand what it was. And I remember I started bleeding like in my sleep, I'd wake up and there's like blood in my underwear. So weird. Never experienced that before with IBD. And I was like, something's really wrong. And my doctor found out like what it was. I still don't remember really what happened. It definitely was a little medical malpractice, but I basically was forming an abscess in my perianal area. So I was having at the end of my colon, more fistulas formed and it was grouping together at the base of my skull. But I didn't know that it was so bad or was getting so bad. And it was right after winter break, we started school again. I remember I was pulling my pants up, couldn't get them up. And I made my roommate come over and I was like, can you look at my butt? And she was like, um, yeah. And I was like, it's really hot to touch. And she was like, oh, that's not normal. That something's wrong with you. I went to the sorority event anyways. <laughs> I was like... I'm going to be fine. And I was starting to sweat and I was like, something's really wrong. Drove myself to the emergency room in Connecticut from Rhode Island where I was in college. 
And at like 11 p.m. at night, so I was like, something's really wrong. I'm going to the emergency room, but health insurance didn't have it in Rhode Island. So I had to go home to Connecticut for it. So I drove myself home. I was going septic, didn't know it because mm. the abscess was so large. It had wrapped around my spine and it was oh just starting to leak a little bit. And it, that's why it was so huge was it had finally like shifted and was like actually out of like pushing up against my skin. So I had, um, I had it drained. So it was like more of a procedure than a surgery, I guess, but it was more of like another instance where I really didn't want it. I was like, what the hell? I didn't, it's senior year of college. Like I worked so hard to get there. I was like, I'm supposed to be worrying about senior break, like not this. And then they put setons in, which are like little butt trains, little medical wire that just like keeps the fistula open and draining. Um, so I've had them removed and new ones placed a couple of times since then so they kind of just put me under and redrain it and do whatever but I still have them now can I just say though yeah you telling your I know this isn't your full story by any means this is just snippets you're so positive about your illness yeah I yeah I try to I think that it wasn't always like that it definitely took me a long time. I think first coming out of it, I didn't look at it like that. Everything happens for a reason. That's been my biggest motto. I think that you have to make a meaning out of it. If you want it to mean something to you, you like you can either lie down and let it defeat you, or you can get up and say, Hey, that happened to me, own it and then use it. And I've always used it as the fuel to just kind of keep me going and say, Hey, that's what it was like. I survived, there has to be a positive from this. Like I have to go out there and do something in order to make it mean something. I looked at it as kind of a blessing in disguise. I think my life turned out the way that I was supposed to, even though it's really been shitty at times. I like even like timing of things. Like if I had started high school at the normal time, like I never would have met the friends that I met in high school that I I'm still friends with now. Like I never would have had the same teachers, the same experience. I never would have gone to you know my college at the right time to meet those friends like it's just you see the domino effect and that's where I find the gratitude like I have to and that's really nice to hear yeah I just think it's a really positive outlook I love it I mean don't get me wrong I do cry and throw things and I'm like what the fuck why me Sarah and I started this randomly really quickly it was literally a voice memo over a whatsapp that's how it started and the the whole kind of thing was that we just want people to laugh and feel all right and actually not feel that this illness is going to defeat you and you will be able to do x y and z and that's that's literally what we wanted to do and you're like an amazing example of someone that's done that thank you I I definitely think that like growing up that was my biggest issue was that there was no light at the end of the tunnel like on tv or in the books for anyone with ibd like they're just it wasn't talked about enough no one knew about it enough and it just was like so secretive like even just so like even when i was in college like i i called it like coming out of the toilet because it was like people would come to me and they're like i have ibd and i'm like like i was like i was always the girl like yep i gotta go take a shit i gotta go i was like stop the bus i gotta take a shit like i was like i gotta go like you just have to own i was like you have to own your shit but like (laughs) now there's people like you and now like with instagram and everything else like there's that light at the end of the tunnel where you're like okay so I have the disease okay I'm gonna go through this shitty period but 
other people have tried this medication, it will work, or they've done X, Y, and Z. And I, you can't get that from the doctors. You just can't, nor can you get it from anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely nice to see how far it's come. It's nice talking to people that understand. Have you found that your illness has kind of impacted anything that has frustrated you, like whether it's relationships or friendships or the ability to travel or your career? Oh, yeah. I think every like facet of my life, I think I always say that I have to like come to terms with the diagnosis again because it's a new example of how you have to experience something. So even now, like I took a fully remote job because one, because it just worked out that way, but literally my last job was killing me with my health. I sold my soul to corporate life. And I was like, I love supply chain. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to be all in. And I would show up to work still bleeding out of my butt. And it was just not okay. Like I just, I had really great support at work. So I was really lucky that my coworkers, like definitely like we should have had more boundaries, but like we had those boundaries down where it was just like, I was like, I'm going to leave this meeting. And like, you guys need to like, if I run out of a meeting, like don't ask, don't ask, don't tell, like you guys don't want to know, just let me go to the bathroom. Just take over the PowerPoint. (laughs) (laughs) Someone pushed the button for me, but it's just like, it was nice to have that like openness and comfort. But at the same time, like I kept pushing and pushing and pushing myself to just end up being really burnt out and finding out that it just like wasn't what I wanted to do or where I wanted to be. And it was a blessing in disguise that I didn't get the promotion that I wanted and things kind of fell apart because I had to take a step back and say, okay, do I, do I want the success or do I want my health? Because if I mess this up and I lose my bowel down the road, it, that they're not going to be able to, to satisfy me anymore. Like being, you know, having that title is not going to feel the same as having my bowels. Like it's just, it, it's not, it's not going to feel the same. So I had to take a step back and I had to quit and I had to say, look, like this is not healthy for me anymore. Mentally, emotionally, physically, I'm moving to New Hampshire. This is it. And like literally me making that decision was one of the harder decisions I've made. Um, but I had to put my foot down and say, this is the perfect opportunity. Not what we expected at all. Not what Nolan and I planned for ourselves at all, but it also was a sign from the universe to kind of say, hi, this is the perfect opportunity for you to like actually slow down and like let yourself kind of just marinate with your health and figure out like what works. And I think that's really hard to, especially after going to college for so many years and like putting so much into it to kind of back down and say, hey, I can't, I can't do it like other people can. I can't pull the 15 hour days and working remote lets me work at my own pace and you've always got lovely pictures of you and your partner and how would you say he supports you with your wonderfully yeah I mean like dating with IBD was a disaster in and of itself like I never hit it which was always the hard part I think like I think sometimes you like could hold back a little bit but like I have drinks my ass leaks I don't really know what to tell you like you can have sex with me or you cannot I don't really know (laughs) so that was my attitude on it but like they just they, they can't get it. And lucky enough, like Nolan's a doctor. So I think that helps. Um, so they definitely like can understand it more on like the educated side of things. Like, you have to have good people in your life. I mean, regardless of whether you've got an IBD, but it's really, yeah. it's really easy to continue with friends that you've had for years who actually aren't very good for you anymore, or you might've gone in two different directions and it might be a bit of a toxic relationship or friendship. Yep. 
And Sarah and I have spoken about this kind of at length, you know, it's really important to kind of take checks sometimes, isn't it? And make make sure that you are still surrounded by really lovely and warm people and, you know, your values are still the same and you're not, there's, there's no kind of stress or anxiety. Because to me, I don't think you shouldn't have people in your life that are causing stress and anxiety. What's the point? No, and I definitely had to take that inventory, like as well with the life change where it just was like, okay, so if I'm going to go all in and decide, hey, I'm going to change, you know, career paths a bit, I'm going to take a step back from everything, like, what else in my life, like, really isn't working for me? And it was like a lot of friendships, you know, kind of fell apart naturally, but it was like a lot of just like, the friction of like, I was sick. And sometimes people don't get that. Sometimes they don't get, um, the ta- the toll it takes on you mentally or physically like I had a lot of hard roommate situations even because it's just I don't blame them because it's you're signing up to live with someone that has a chronic illness but you also know you're signing up to live with someone who has a chronic illness so like it's hard to find that balance but harder to do it on your own have <laughs> you had because I always find this really funny have you had any weird kind of um I, I was gonna say weird people then but that came out wrong anyone giving you like weird cure suggestions like sometimes I'll entertain people's like ideas of it for a while just to like entertain myself because I do yoga and they've asked me before like why I don't feel better because of the yoga and I'm like okay (laughs) and like because it doesn't cure it it just helps the symptoms like if it helps me relax and it helps like move everything around but it doesn't solve the problem (laughs) I think like one thing people have always told me they're like oh like you're eating the wrong stuff that's why you have it and I'm just like you want to kill them like really and I just I think that just shows how like uneducated people are people have to like pick the relative or the person that they know with it as well they're like yeah my like stepsisters cousins youngest brothers fiance's dog had it once I'm like yeah he's fine now when I had a good friend at the time I told her what I had and she was like oh my cousin had that that's what he died from and I'm like okay (laughs) I don't know what to do with that it's been like a month I'm panicking already thank you it's really supportive yeah that's not a good way to go either (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) maybe the worst way to go (laughs) and Katie obviously I have to ask this because I obviously have already in the last six weeks have lost all my dignity. Have you got any embarrassing stories? My senior year, like just in general, was an embarrassment overall. I just, <laughs> I came back with a butt pillow that I had to bring with me like everywhere to sit on like a hemorrhoid pillow and just like slide underneath and like sit. And so of course we had like three tiered classrooms and I was like relatively new with the butt pillow still. One of the guys behind me, like he was like one of like the biggest like frat guys or whatever and he just was like yo is that one of those hemorrhoid pillows are you sticking that under your ass like in the middle of class in front of everyone I just like turned around I was like honestly I was gonna be embarrassed about this but like yep this is my ass pillow I have to use it like it's literally my ass pillow (laughs) oh my god what dick I know I know I've also had like really bad like diarrhea attacks and like many corporate meetings that you just have you ever had that one single pause in a Zoom and you just the gurgle and gurgle and gurgle and gurgle? Yeah, that's happened so many times. They're like, "Are you okay?" Like, yeah. No. Oh, no, I think I'm not. Across. You could wrap wrap this up quicker. I have somewhere to be. <laughs> Katie, do you follow any like specific nutrition plan? 
do you avoid no. any certain foods no you just roll with it I just roll with it um I try to avoid I don't eat sushi never have just because it's a raw fish and they've always told me to stay away from it I just try to eat healthy that's what I try to do as I'm dreaming of slop slurping down like a whole pint of ice cream tonight things bother me things don't like I just try to listen to my body and I, yeah. I'm trying to learn what that looks like so I think I'm going to try more of like an intuitive eating plan or like try to just see what feels good more yeah. so you shouldn't restrict stuff that you don't have a problem with really should you um, I'm already restricting so much in my life why do it with food too whatever I want that's not gonna like I'm not gonna get like a whole like chicken and waffle situation and then like wonder why I'm like shitting my brains out for a day but like <laughs> thank you so so yeah. much thank you so much it's been thank so you lovely guys you. It's been enjoy awesome. your ice cream thank you <laughs> that would give me the worst shits ever I don't know how you it's probably going to <laughs> worth it, worth it. <laughs> amazing oh, I love you guys. take care babe bye love you guys Thanks so much, Katie, for talking to us today. It's been absolutely incredible. Really hope everyone enjoyed Katie's story as much as we did interviewing her. It was a very, very long recording, which we literally didn't stop laughing for for nearly three hours. Please check her out on Instagram, Badass with a Badass. And she's also started an awesome new blog. Thanks so much. I love you guys.